0: Hello, welcome to the Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. The story of an African-American cop infiltrating the highest ranks of the KKK is the mirror that Spike Lee uses to talk about today's racism and oppression in his new film, Black Klansman. My God. It's megalodon. Jason Statham, 70-foot shark... Is there anything else we need to know about The Meg? We'll find out.
1: Soon, there wouldn't be any kids anywhere.
0: And the producers of Stranger Things and Arrival are delivering us a world terrified by everyone under 18 with the darkest minds. Or is that just the news? Hello, hello, my name is Kyron Wheatley. We're here to sift through New (laughs) Relay Sounded disappointed <laughs> that that was my name, but it's true. That's what it is. And we're here to sift through new releases before they've been released. With a PhD in film, we're joined by Vary McIntyre. Hello. Now, in Black Klansman, our hero infiltrates the KKK. Who would you infiltrate?
1: Well, I'm a bit of a chocoholic, so probably the Cadbury factory. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can maybe... take tours there. You don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just like overnight, and then I would just gorge myself.
0: That is the voice of Michael Campbell from Village Cinemas. Who would you infiltrate? I mean, come on, guys. The Illuminati. Oh, yeah, totally. Crazy? Yeah, that's they my don't... second choice. All yeah. the secrets. <laughs> Cadbury first, then Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> so straight to the top, and then number two. <laughs> Think about that yourself and keep listening. We've got your chance to win a Village Cinemas Gold Class Double Pass a little later on. But My mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else,
2: really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins... I'm happy to be talking to a true white
0: American. God bless white America. The director of Get Out, Jordan Peele, called Spike Lee a while back and told him the true story of African-American cop Ron Stallworth who infiltrated the Colorado Ku Klux Klan and eventually became head of the local chapter. Anyway, a couple of years later, we have the movie. Is it any good, Cambo? This movie is so good. I, I'm, I'm going to gush a little bit, but this is
2: potentially my favorite movie that I've watched this year. It's, it's that good. It's this incredible true story of Ron Stallworth who managed to not only infiltrate the KKK, but make his way up the ranks without ever actually meeting them face-to-face. He sent a surrogate who is Adam Driver's character. And it's, it's so bizarre that you would think they made it up, but they didn't, which yeah. is just crazy. So this is the new one from Spike Lee. Spike Lee, yeah, of course. you know, f- Legendary filmmaker Spike Lee, like do the right thing, like all the way back in the 90s. Malcolm X. Malcolm X, exactly. Uh, and this is like primo Spike Lee, both as a filmmaker and like material-wise as well, because his films have obviously always been about kind of the oppression of black people in America. And, you know, the Ku Klux Klan is, is the be-all and end-all of that. And it just kind of, I mean, it humiliates them, really.
1: Yeah, so uh, we talked about last week the exploitation films and it's actually mentioned in this one as well. Like I think the characters sort of talk about that when um, they're talking to each other, the the posters and – Show reels of some of the films they're talking about come up on the screen. So it's it's sort of not a traditional movie in that sense where they just sort of like break out of the narrative and will kind of be like to the audience, oh, this is what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. I mean, Spike Lee's known for being quite didactic like that. Like he just literally shows you the thing he's talking about, right?
1: Yeah. It's a very powerful film, especially knowing that it's real and you can really understand why it won the Grand Prix Award at the Cannes Film Festival.
0: Which is like the best film?
1: Yeah. Also, six-minute standing ovation from the audience afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And once you see this film, I think you'll want to do the same.
2: Yeah. I mean, the Grand Prix, The Grand Prix, I think, is the audience award, which means right. it's the one that connected most to the audience. And you can kind of see why, especially Spike Lee's 61. And I think him and Martin Scorsese are the two elder guys that just have such energy in their movies. Like, this thing just kind of cracks along. It's got one of the best soundtracks I've heard in a long, long time. And it's just like, it doesn't really let up for a minute, this incredibly bizarre story of a black police officer infiltrating the KKK.
1: Yeah. So Ron Starworth is played by John David Washington, who is Denzel Washington's son. But he should be thought of as as a separate person. Like I know a lot of actors will be famous because of who they're related to, but you don't even think about that when you see him on screen. Well, it's funny because he doesn't look like his dad. But
2: he sounds yeah. like his dad. Sometimes when he's talking, he's got that kind of cadence that Denzel Washington talks into. And every now yeah. and then I'm like, oh, there it is. Yeah. And I, couldn't I sound help like it. my dad and sometimes I catch it like, Ugh. <laughs> And I couldn't help it because I know like, as an actor you'd be like, I'm my own person. But every now and then yeah. I must
0: admit I caught myself being like, oh, that was so Denzel. So how about the rest of the cast? Who's involved?
1: Oh, so Adam Driver is brilliant. He plays Flip Zimmerman, who is a cop as well. And he is, I guess, the face of Ron Stalworth. So between the two guys... Ron is the one, uh, the voice on the phone, and he even dupes David Duke, who is the Grand Wizard of the KKK. Played by Topher Grace from that 70s show. Yeah, he does a really good job too. (laughs) (laughs) Then Flip is the white guy who the members of the KKK see. So he infiltrates this particular clan, I guess. And he does such a good job of it that he fools everyone except this one character. So throughout the film there's a bit of a threat of this guy who's just like straight up, oh, you're a cop. And everyone's like, oh, God, oh, no, he's going to find out. But he does a really good job at sort of deflecting all of his questions and everybody else believes him so he just keeps going and going on this this journey
2: what I quite like is and not only that it's like a double dupe ju- because Flip was Jewish himself but what I think was almost kind of a uh, an interesting choice that I didn't expect was not all of the members of the KKK are just these like stereotypes in fact the the guy who who he first infiltrates with is shown to be kind of charming and a nice man with these horrendous beliefs, but it would be so easy just to paint them all with a broad brush. And while you don't like him, you understand why people would follow him, which I think is an interesting choice that they've made to be like, you know what? Obviously there must've been something about this guy, despite the fact that his, uh, you know, these beliefs are horrendous that people followed. It sheds an interesting light, I think, on that time period in the 70s when the KKK were just seen as a nuisance more than anything because uh, apart from Ron who says, you know, we want to stop these guys, everyone else is just kind of like, oh, just leave them alone. They're harmless. And it's just, it just boggles the mind, doesn't it, that that was a mentality in middle America for a large section of the 70s and the 60s.
1: Yeah, so the main plot of this narrative is that this group of the KKK is going to plan an attack. And that's what Ron stumbles across. He just happenstance finds this ad in a newspaper and just decides to ring up and is just like, hey, I'm a white guy. I want to join you. And then discovers that they're actually planning to bomb this group. And so Ron um, is first assigned to go to this Black Power meeting. And he there meets a girl um, called Patrice, played by Laura Harrier, and kind of forms a little romance with her. And she is the president of the Black Student Union. So she's all about black power and she has this group of friends who do protests a lot and they are the target of this attack by the Klansmen, or as they call themselves, the organisation, because it's, you know, less offensive. So Ron, liking this girl, is kind of stuck in the middle of trying to get into the Ku Klux Klan, but also into this group of the black power movement and is a cop and he's not really fitting in anywhere, but wants to save everybody and, yeah, stop this attack from happening.
2: I think and what this film does, I would say, better than a lot of films I've seen recently, is the way that it plays with tension. Because it starts off pretty funny, you know. This this whole idea is kind of ridiculous, and, and the, you get some laughs early on. But slowly throughout the film, the laughs stop, and it gets more and more tense. And, and then by the end, I, like, white knuckles, like, on my seat, just mm-hmm. waiting to see what happened, because it had just brilliantly kind of taken my expectation of, oh, yeah, this is a little light and silly. I didn't expect that to, oh my God, this is intense.
1: Yeah. It's very dark subject matter, but they somehow managed to make it very funny in the way that, um, they acted out basically watching, um, Ron Starworth's character as well on the phone is just absolutely hilarious. Yeah, there's that great... dark humour. The great scene, I think it's in the trailer as well, where he just
2: rings up the organisation and just applies is hilarious. But I think that's got a lot to do with the director. Given this to another director, those jokes probably wouldn't have landed like this.
0: I mean, Spike Lee isn't making just some history flick. He loves talking about the current day. He loves reflecting the politics of now. That's obviously filtered all through this... Historical story, right?
2: Yeah, and, and maybe even more than you'd expect as well. And this film, maybe more than any other this year, it, it'll it'll punch in the gut. You know, it, it's it's not it doesn't mince its words about what it's trying to say.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's paying homage to and yet challenging black exploitation films, and it's putting this lens on the current issues between the black community in America and cops and the this new trend of white supremacy that's happening and all this violence on the streets, but he's also using the power of film to get that message across. There's this one scene that mentions Birth of a Nation, which was a ye olde film mm. that was just highly, highly offensive to the African-American community. And the Won One quick- Academy Award, though. Yeah I, mm, <laughs> yeah, I was the, so shocked. The heroes
2: in that movie are the Ku Klux Klan, which is a real movie that really won Best Picture that year. Yeah, Like
1: actually, it changed the nation, I guess, and Spike Lee's making this comment on how film can be so powerful and bring across social change. And he, I guess he's trying to do that with this movie as well.
0: So who should see this film?
1: I think if you want to learn something. I learned a bit about American history, I guess, and even not that long ago. Uh, it's going to be released on the year anniversary of the events in Charlottesville, so on August ten.
2: Yeah, I'm going to get go real broad. I think everyone should see it. Like, I think it's kind yeah. of an important film, but not only that, it's like it's a it's a great film as well. So you're going to learn stuff, but also it's like a supremely entertaining, stylish flick as well.
0: Do you know those films where you haven't even seen it yet, you know you're going to see it twice?
2: I guarantee you this is going to be one of those movies that everyone's asked you whether you've seen. It's going to be like the buzz of the town. There's a monster
1: outside.
0: Hi, I'm Jason Statham. Is that how he talks? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, that's about to blow up. It's going to blow. I'm Jason Statham. That's pretty much, I think, all... Well, certainly all I need to know about the Meg, because I don't need to know more. I'm like, action flick, Jason Statham is in it. Aussie star Ruby Rose and the nerdy one from The Office, Rain Wilson, is in it as well. That's fantastic, but I'm totally here for it. Should I be? Is it good?
1: Oh boy, what can I say about this one? I, I think it's a comedy without them wanting it to be,
0: maybe. Right. No, see,
2: I think there's like a, a central thing you need to ask yourself Do you want to see Jason Statham versus a Giant Shark? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, I then do. It's exactly that. And if the answer is no, well, that sounds go. silly. Yeah, it is. Is there more to the plot?
1: Um, so, yeah, there is a plot. Uh, Wow! (laughs) They're even bothered with one. (laughs) So Jason Statham plays Jonas Taylor, an ex-naval diver, and he has to save a group of scientists in this submarine. They've gone to the bottom of the ocean. Great. But in doing so, they release a megalodon, (gasps) the Meg, and they must Find and kill it before it kills them.
2: Yeah. But it
1: kills a lot of them.
2: And what I like <laughs> about this movie is it has, a, I, I think, more of an interesting setting than I was expecting, which is it's set in the Mariana Trench, uh-huh. which is like the deepest, the deepest point of, of the ocean. ocean. Yeah, it's, it's a great place p- for a film. Isn't it? Like yeah. well, as soon as that came, I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah. The very Mar- <laughs> like, yeah, That's spooky enough as it is. Put a Megalodon down there. Yeah. And I love that Jason Statham can't quite even say megalodon because of his accent. It's, megalodon, megalodon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie is like it's it's like the modern equivalent of like a like a a, a grindhouse B movie, you know? Yeah. It's macho men fighting giant sharks. I had so much fun, and you, I I think I had fun even despite myself. You know how silly it is, <laughs> yeah. and it it knows how silly it is, yeah. And
0: it just goes for it. That's as long as it knows. That's what I want. Like I want it to know as well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, my favourite scene is Jason Statham swimming through the ocean, singing Finding Dory's song, Just Keep Swimming, yeah. Just Keep Swimming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the trailer
2: for this movie has That's somewhere across the sea by Bobby Darren playing. Yeah. I think it knows,
0: what it's, it knows doing. what it's doing. It's not pretending to be Jaws. Well, I guess when I saw Rain Wilson <laughs> yeah. was in it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah.
2: And this this movie is one of those movies I think is very evident that it's not only geared towards a certain demographic but also the Chinese market because a lot of the technology and the heroes are, are Chinese. And that's something that Hollywood movies have been doing lately, uh, especially Marvel movies, where there's a big Chinese presence in there as well. So it's, it knows what it's doing. It's going for like the biggest, broadest international audience it can.
1: Yeah, so it's a Chinese-American production and the science base that they've got in the ocean to study these sharks is based off Hong Kong. So the other main character and slight love interest of Jason Statham is Bing Bing Lee. She's in a lot of Chinese films like Forbidden Kingdom and some American productions as well. Yeah, she's in uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. Oh yeah, really? Hmm. Uh, But there's also a really big Australian crew in there as well. You mentioned Ruby Rose. There's also Jessica McNamee, who's from packed to the rafters, and a Kiwi guy. Yeah, Cliff Curtis. I think he's my favourite. He's such like a... A suave,
2: charming presence in this movie, and uh, as much as yeah. I love Statham, I actually think he came out being my favorite.
1: Yeah, he was the comedic relief, but he was like his character was like so held back, but he was just so funny throughout it. He was a really standout performance for me as well, and he had the, kind of like a, a
2: weirdly fatherly presence as well, because he he was the guy when something went wrong that was like calming everyone down, and because he's the head of this this research station or one of the heads of this research station. But I think that like his his. He's a that guy. I think we talked about that uh, yep. a few weeks ago where you've seen him in a bunch of stuff, but you can never really pick it. But I think I'm hoping that after this, he starts becoming more prominent, even in action movies, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, he was in Fear of the Walking Dead, so he's got some TV credits. Maybe he'll get more into to movies.
0: Who plays the Meg? Daniel Day Lewis, Meryl Streep. <laughs> really disappear into their roles. A- a- Andy
2: Circus, in a, like yeah. a new motion capture. Performance. Seriously, though, is the
0: animation of the or the CGI of the Meg good? Is it? Yeah, uh, it's it's great. Yeah.
2: I, and I what they do well in this movie, and I think, is similar maybe to that 2014 Godzilla movie. Is they have a really good way of showing scale. Mm-hmm. Like there's these weird, interesting shots where you really get a sense of oh, geez, yeah, this is. Huge. And one of them is, uh, I think it's even in the trailer, you see she's in a, uh, one of the characters in a small submarine and it just floats over the top of her. And how long it takes for this full thing to pass the sub, you're like, geez, how long is this thing?
0: So it's kind of a big screen film then.
2: Oh, yeah. You yeah. know what? This would be a perfect – I know there's like those 40X cinemas around where the, the, the seats shake and the water sp- – this would be like a perfect 40X <laughs> I film.
0: think I've gone on one of those. Is it Movie World has got one of those?
2: Yeah. I, the, this is like I think almost like tailor-made for that. Water would be splashing, your
0: seats would be shaking. It's yeah, that with a yeah. Yeah, yeah, the little squirt comes out from the front exactly. of the
1: seat. Great
0: fun. Fun well, for the whole family.
1: Why all this hate against sharks? Like all these mo- – there's so many movies. Like The Shallows. they
0: kill people, Vary. <laughs> <by they by laughs> no, it's sca- – Scary.
1: Not as much as cars or planes, <laughs> like
0: <laughs> And that's why Disney the... made cars. A terrifying film about vehicles.
1: I, yeah, I don't like all this hate against sharks, but okay.:
0: <laughs> Well, one thing I thought was kind of an interesting that coming from the person who was defending Rottweilers a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Is, there, is there a creature out there that you think,
0: okay, they can be the villain in a movie? Humans? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is the kind of film where it's like, how did this get made? You know?
1: Very difficultly. Apparently. I was doing some research and I found out this is actually based on a book. Really? Yes. By Steve Alton. And it had a lot of setbacks trying to get made. This guy who wrote it was pushing it so hard. So it was originally bought in 97 by Disney Um, But it was pushed back so it wouldn't compete with Warner Brothers' Deep Blue Sea in 99. And then Steve Alton, the guy who wrote the book, took the project elsewhere. It passed many hands, including Guillermo del Toro's. They passed it along to all these people and were like, hey, do you want to write it? Do you want to write it? Do you want to do this? So it ended up with Jan de Bont. Really? The director of one of the Lara Croft films.
0: And also like so many action films from the 90s.
1: Yeah, and then New Line picked it up and it went to Cannes in 2005, slated for a 2006 release, but it became too expensive and they kept pushing for more and more CGI and then all the creatives jumped off, fell apart, and then in 2007 it went to Warner Brothers where Eli Roth, who did Cabin Fever and Hostel... Yeah, he's kind of like a schlock horror guy. Yeah, was going to be the director, but apparently due to creative differences he was replaced... (laughs) With turtletail.
0: Creative differences on the Meg. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big shark.
1: Apparently, <laughs> apparently, he wanted it to keep its R rating, so it was going to be a lot more violent.
0: Right. right. Well, we've arrived, it's, it's <laughs>
1: out. And finally, 2018, here we go. And and to think,
0: you,
2: when you go and see this movie, you're seeing almost 20 years or maybe 20 years plus yes. of hard work to get this on screen. I imagine yeah. the Oscar
0: for best film. Yeah, then. yeah. if it's yeah.
2: not Black Klansman, it, it's the make. for best pusher. <laughs> Who
0: should see this film?
2: I mean, if what we were talking about sounds awesome to you, then this it's exactly what it looks like, it's exactly what it sounds like, and it never promises to be anything else, and it's so much fun.
1: Yeah, so if you like 47 Meters Down, Piranha, Anaconda, those sorts of monster movies, you'll get a laugh out of this one, if nothing else.
0: Also in cinemas this week, Kate McKinnon from SNL stars with Mila Kunis in The Spy Who Dumped Me. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Superfly, it's a remake of a exploitation classic from the 1970s.
1: With director X.
0: Yeah, he's done like Drake's music videos and stuff, <laughs> and now he's in Hollywood. And On Chesil Beach, the new Saoirse Ronan vehicle. I mean, Saoirse Ronan is the only
2: words you need to know to go see that movie.
0: If you want to hear more about those movies, check back to last week's episode. We talked about all of them.
1: For their safety and yours, please turn over your children.
0: This plot kind of reminds me of The Handmaid's Tale. Maybe it's the opposite. The Darkest Mind stars Bradley Whitford. You remember Josh Lineman from The West Wing? You know what? He's in The Handmaid's Tale as well, I think, in the latest season as the commander who kind of turns a blind eye. Anyway, he's in this as well as Mandy Moore, and I imagine a bunch of fresh faces because it's about a dystopian world where everyone fears the under-18s. Is that right? I mean, yeah, this is the classic young
2: adult adaption dystopian future kids are the changing force kind of a film. Uh, this one in particular, the, the young people under-18, they're developing these kind of powers and, and obviously... Oh, X-Men. X-Men, a little, a little bit like that, without like the analogy of race rights in the 60s yeah. or, or um, gay rights in the 90s. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the older people, you know, the 30s, yes. uh, they're a bit scared of these young teens and they're trying to round them up. And this is about a group of teens on the run from this tyrannical government and trying to find a safe haven.
1: Yeah, well, it's set in a world where there's this plague that's killed 99% of the child population. So everyone under 18 has either died. That's what
0: reminded me of The Handmaid's And
1: then, yeah, the 2% has developed these powers and they keep them in these, like, detainment camps and they're colour-coded with these uniforms depending on their superpower. And then they all escape. So, yeah, it's got this, like, maze runner feel about it where they have to get out or, Mm -hmm. like, the Hunger Games. There's been or oh, there was quite a spate of all these sort of teen-oriented movies in these dystopian futures, and we haven't had one for a while. I think it's a good genre. Um, I think a lot of people will enjoy this, so I'm quite excited to see what they do with it now. So, yeah, this is based on a book series that has been very popular. Um, Alexandra Bracken has wrote six of them so far. I don't know if there's going to be any more. Um, the first one was published in 2012, and then the latest one is actually at the end of July this year. So they're very recent. Do you think Hollywood w-
0: does love a book series like that, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Because well, see the sequels. Already got the, the movie lined up. Do you think there
2: was like a situation when The Hunger Games really hit back in 2012 where a bunch of Hollywood producers ran to the local bookstore, went to the young <laughs> adult section and just swiped every book on that shelf and like find something, we've got another series
0: <laughs> in yeah. here somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean probably. Yeah, probably. I, That's honestly, exactly what I mean. I say
0: that in jest, but I think that happened. <laughs> yeah, totally. Took them home gave them to the children. Yeah. Yeah. Read yeah. these, please. <laughs> Tell me which ones you enjoy.
1: You know, the smart thing is that they've waited for enough time to pass that those other... Teen dystopian movies have been maybe forgotten. People are looking for something new, and this one comes in. And
0: also, this is from the producers of Stranger Things as well. Yeah,
1: right? yeah,
2: and and Arrival. So it's got some calibre behind it, uh, you know, which
0: they put on the poster. Oh, because they, they're like, we want you to know this has calibre.
2: They love that fact so much. Yeah, you're right. It's on every bit of advertisement you'll see for it. Stranger Things, Arrival. I don't think it's going to be the Arrival level of like that was quite a cerebral film mm. about language. I don't know if that's going to hit that kind of high benchmark, but I think it's got more of a, an esteemed production team behind it than its competitors.
0: I think that's what you want to know, right? Like that even though they might not be doing an adult film, it is for young people. It's pitched at the young adult market, yeah. but it's got that cred. It's like, no, it's being made by really quality producers. People that know how to tell the story.
1: Yeah, so it's got Mandy Moore and Gwendolyn Christie in it. Gwendolyn Christie from Game of Thrones, Mandy Moores, and a lot of rom coms. So this is something a bit more serious for her. Um, and those are the adult characters. And then we've got newcomers, sort of, I guess, to the, well, the film see, scene for the You young can see people.
2: where they're going for the Hunger Games market, though, because the little girl that played Rue in the first Hunger Games movie is the lead character in this right. movie. They're obviously oh, going for that, her. like that recognition of yes, young adult, dystopian future. This is this is her. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's Amanda Stenberg. And then she's got a love interest, Harris Dickinson. So they're a bit um, newcomer to the movie scene, I guess. So we've got these fresh teen faces that young people can relate to. Interestingly enough, the director as well, Jennifer E. Nelson, has mostly done animation. She did Kung Fu Panda 2. Yeah. This is her first live action. Kung Fu Panda 2 is a really underrated movie, I just want to say. Yeah. Oh, just by the way. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's great so that's that's Something cool. a so she's different. like transitioning mm. from the animated features to live action which brad bird obviously did doing the incredibles and he did mission impossible rogue nation and that was a pretty seamless transition because people in animation there's a whole thing where you don't waste a frame because you have to animate that frame and if you can get away with not doing it, you don't waste it mm. and i think that makes you a really kind of stingent director where you don't you're not filming anything you're not going to use
0: so who should see this film
2: I mean, if you're a fan of those young adult dystopian futures, like The Hunger Games, Divergent, The Maze Runner, I mean, this looks like it's just the,
1: the next logical step in those movies. If you like the book series, if you like any of those other teen sort of oriented movies, but also an older audience like ourselves will enjoy as well.
0: Each week we give away a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, and this week we're after your answer to the question... What would you infiltrate a la Black Klansman? To win, send your answer and contact details to win at thecinemacrew.com.au On the next episode of The Cinema Crew, we're talking The Book Club, where, well, a book club is reading Fifty Shades of Grey and apparently they have their own sexual awakening. Plus, have you ever wanted the Muppets to sort of murder and swear? Well, The Happy Time Murders is just that. And one for the gamers... Slenderman Man is a horror based on the game of the same name that was all the rage about ten years ago. That's it from us. Thanks
1: Vari. Thank you. Thanks, Gambo. Thank
0: you. I'm Karen Wheatley and we'll see you next time on the Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.